0: Welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. So I want to say this morning that uh, uh, I'm going to preach from the Word of God, and but I'm going to take up one of the themes of the weekend. And one of the themes of the weekend was totally, being totally available and radically Obedient. I'm not going to read the scriptures to you this morning, but I'm going to tell you the story from the scriptures. And if you want to follow it, you can go to Mark chapter 6 uh, from verse uh, 30. Mark chapter 6 from verse 30. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to uh, sh- tell it to you as a story rather than read it to you as a passage. And uh, I want to ask the question at the beginning how long has it been since? Jesus did a miracle in your life or you saw him do a miracle in someone else's life? You don't have to answer that out loud. I Just, I just ask that as a rhetorical question. Uh, sometimes people seem to go through life blessed by God in abundance whilst others seem to struggle through life and don't seem to, to get the, the kind of uh, impact that, uh, that, uh, uh, that they maybe expect from God. And I want to ask the question, why is that so? Because I want to make sure you understand that it's not because God favours some people over others. God loves every one of us and he wants the very, very best for every one of us. He wants us all to live in abundance. He wants us all to experience the fullness of uh, his promises and his spirit. And so uh, if you're not experiencing that uh, in the way in which you feel you should or you feel you ought to, then I want to ask the question, what more can you or I do to place us in a position to better qualify for Jesus to perform a miracle in our life? And the way I, to, I want to help you to, to understand that is to go through this story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and ask the question, uh, who contributed to that miracle? How did they contribute to that miracle so that we might be able ourselves To put ourselves in a better position to also qualify for the things that, uh, for the miracles that Jesus performs even today. Now, we know a miracle uh, is something that we cannot explain. We cannot perform a miracle ourselves because a miracle is performed beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. And so, when we talk about miracles, we know that they are things that Jesus did over and above anything that we could do. We can't explain a miracle. We don't know how he did it. But he performed many miracles throughout his time on earth. And in those times, um, as he performed those miracles, many people were blessed. People were healed. People were raised from the dead. In our story today, 5,000 people were fed. And, uh, and I can't explain how it happened and you can't explain how it happened. Uh, but we can look at it and say, well, what contributed to that? Well, it so happened that Jesus had been in this place where he was uh, meeting with the people and he'd been there and he'd had a whole week of ministry. A little bit like a watchman's school, I guess. He had a watchman's school and the people came through the daytime and, and he taught them. And then he would spend probably time talking with them afterwards and he would pray with them and, and no doubt people were healed and, and all sorts of things were going on. But at the end of that week, he was feeling tired and he knew his disciples were being t- were tired Because I came up to him and said, Master, isn't it time for you to have a break? What say we we hire a boat and we go to the other side of the lake and get a bit of peace and quiet for a few days? You've been teaching all week, you've been praying for people all week, you've been doing all of those things. Uh, Isn't it time that we we looked after ourselves a little bit and we took time to have a break and have a rest? So Jesus said to them, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you go down and get a boat, buy some food for us, and we'll head off to the other side of the lake. So they did. The disciples went down and they, they hired a boat and they got some food and they got on the boat and they began to head off to the other side of the lake. The people saw them leaving and the people didn't want them to go. They had such a wonderful week of teaching and, and prayer and seeing, seeing God perform miracles with, of healing and, and those sorts of things. So they didn't want him to go. So when they saw him heading to the other side of the lake, they knew where he was going. So the Bible says that many of them, many of them decided to go and get to the other side of the lake before he did. And so they went around and walked around the perimeter of the lake. I don't think there was a formed road. I don't think there was even a formed footpath. They just stumbled over the, over the rocks and over the stones and, and over the sand and so forth. But when, they, when Jesus got to the other side, there was this crowd of people. Now the Bible says there were 5,000 men there that day. Now men might be a generic term. But if there were just, they were only counting the men, there were 5,000 men. There would have been a similar number of women. There would have been another 5,000 women. And if they brought their kids with them, there could have been another 10,000 children there could have been 20,000 people on that hillside. But we'll stick with the biblical biblical account of 5,000 because that's a miracle in itself. But just in the back of your mind, remember, there could have been up to 20,000 people there. So when Jesus reached the other side and saw all these people sitting on the hillside, he said to his disciples, we just can't let them sit there. He said, I'm going to have to teach again. I'm going to have to minister to them. I'm going to have to pray for them. And the disciples probably said, oh, no, we thought we were going to get away for a weekend. But the people were so hungry, were so hungry, that they were prepared to walk several kilometers around to the other side of the lake so that they could be where Jesus was. So Jesus taught during the day and at the uh, coming in the late afternoon, the disciples said to him, Master, it's time to send the people home. There's no place for them to, f- to sleep here. There's no place for them to find food here. Uh, they need to get home and they need to get home before it gets dark because otherwise they're going to stumble over the rocks and, and hurt themselves. So he said, you, you better stop and you better do, let them go. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, well, if there's no food here, why don't you feed them? And he, they looked at him and I'm sure they thought, he must be crazy. It would take eight months of our wages to buy enough food to feed this group of people. But nevertheless, Jesus said, no, look, go and find out how much food we brought. So they went away and they had a look in their kit bags and they found five loaves and two fish, just enough for them and Jesus for the weekend. Five loaves and two fish. There were between 5,000 and 20,000 people sitting on the hillside and Jesus said to the disciples, you feed them. So they came back to Jesus and said, we haven't got enough food. We've only got five loaves and two fish. So he said, okay, give me what you've got. Give me everything you have. And they gave him the five loaves and two fishes. And he held it up to heaven and he said, Father, this is all we've got. You see the need of the people, they're hungry. They need to be fed. But all we've got is five loaves and two fish. Would you multiply these loaves and these fish so that the people can eat and be satisfied? He then said to them, well, now get the groups and put them in groups of 50 and sit them on the hillside in groups of 50. And then he said, now, uh, uh, bring me some baskets. So they brought seven baskets, uh, one fish and one loaf in each basket. So they went out and they distributed the seven basketfuls of fish and loaves to the five to 20,000 people sitting on the hillside. And the Bible says the people ate and were satisfied that's a miracle i can't explain how jesus did that you can't explain how jesus did that that's a miracle and so 5000 at least people were fed with five loaves and two fish and were satisfied but hold on a moment that was only the first miracle the second there was a second miracle greater than the first miracle That's the one we seem to concentrate on, the feeding of the people. But then it goes on and says, now go and pick up the scraps. So the disciples went out and picked up the scraps, the leftovers. And they brought back 12 basketfuls of food. Leftovers. After the people had eaten and were satisfied. They gave out seven baskets. 5,000, 20,000 people ate and were satisfied and they picked up the scraps and got 12 basketfuls of scraps left over. That's the second miracle and that's a greater miracle than the first one in my eyes that they finished up with more food than they started with but 5,000 people were fed and were satisfied. I can't explain it. You can't explain it. It was a miracle. Now I want to ask the question, Who contributed to the miracle? Yes, we know Jesus performed the miracle. Jesus was the one that lifted the the food up to heaven and asked the Father to bless it. So he was the one, of course, that, that performed the miracle. But who contributed to the miracle and what was their contribution? Well, the first people that contributed to the miracle were the people on the hillside. Because if they hadn't been there, if they hadn't been sitting on the hillside with nothing to eat there wouldn't have been a need for a miracle and we wouldn't be reading this story in the Bible. And why were they on the hillside? Because they wanted to be where Jesus was. They weren't prepared to just take what he, what he offered during the week. When they saw him going, they said, no, 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 we want more, we want more. And so they decided to put themselves in a place where, where, where Jesus was and they made their way around the, the, the lake to the other side. They could have just as easily said, well, we've had a, a week full of teaching. Jesus has been so free with his time. He's, he's given us a week full of teaching. He's been ministering to us for this whole week. And besides, we've got things we have to do around the house. We've got to do the weekly shopping. We've got to mow the lawns. We've got to play a game of golf. We, the, you know, The kids have got to do their soccer or whatever, netball. They had plenty of reasons to say, let Jesus go and have a rest we'll get on with the rest of our life and we'll get do the uh, do the shopping and mow the lawns and wash the car and all of those things but they didn't you see they said that can wait jesus is now he's with us now and we want everything that we can get from him and so they made themselves totally available They didn't hold anything back for themselves. They were totally available. And they lay aside the the chores of the the day. They laid that aside and they they scrambled around to the other side of the lake. So they there were sitting on the hillside, 5,000 of them, totally available, wanting everything that, that Jesus could give to them. They weren't satisfied with just what he'd already done. They wanted more and more and more. So you see, when we are totally available and when we want to be where Jesus is, that's when we're more likely to see a miracle. Because if those people had stayed home, there would not have been a miracle. They wouldn't have been part of a miracle. They wouldn't have seen a miracle. It was their total availability which got them to the other side. What about the other people in the story? The disciples. What was their contribution? Well, they provided the food. Not enough for 5,000 people, only enough for themselves and Jesus. But they had five loaves and two fish. And when Jesus said, go and find out how much you've got, they went and had a look in their kit bags and that's all they had. And they came back to Jesus and said, there's no way we can feed these people. There's only five loaves and two fish in our kit bags. So what did Jesus say? He said to them, okay, give me everything you have now they gave him the five loaves and two fish that's all they had but i want to ask a question this morning which there is no answer to because the bible doesn't cover it but i want to ask you a question what do you think might have happened if the disciples had said okay let's give him four loaves uh uh, four fish that's sorry four, (laughs) four loaves and one fish Let's keep a loaf and a fish back for ourselves. If he's going to do a miracle, he can do it with four and one rather than five and two. Now, we will never know the answer, but I suspect, I suspect that if they've kept something back for themselves and not trusted everything to Jesus, he would not have been able to perform that miracle. I think it was their radical obedience that helped that miracle be performed they didn't hold anything back for themselves they gave everything they had their five loaves and two fishes to Jesus and I think that was a key element in the way in in how Jesus could perform that miracle but it was their radical obedience that enabled God to do what God did through Jesus in performing that miracle and so if we're radically obedient in doing the things that God asks us to do, we're much more likely to put ourselves in a place where we can receive his ongoing and constant blessing. Because life is about being totally available and radically obedient to God. It's not about what God can do for us, it's about what we can do for God. Where can we, you know, we, we can put ourselves in a position where, where God can, can do things in us and do things through us. So what has God asked you to do? Where has God asked you to go? Have you been obedient? Have you done the things that God has asked you to do? And if you have, I'm sure that you will say to me, yes, I have experienced the blessing of God. I have experienced miracle-working power of God in my life. But if you haven't, there's more for you than you have yet experienced in your Christian walk. Because God honours our total availability and our radical obedience. Where are you most likely to see a miracle in Wayala? Let me ask that question. Where are you most likely? Now now probably the first thing we think of is well in the churches, of course, because because Jesus is here with us in the church. This is his family. This is his home. So if we want to see a miracle, it's most likely to occur on a Sunday morning in one of the church services around Wyala because Jesus is with the people this morning. He is. He's here. And he, if he wants to perform a miracle, he can. But let me remind you that the most likely place that you'll see a miracle is not here amongst us, but it's out there amongst where there is human need because you will find Jesus wherever there is human need and when that human need cannot be satisfied by us when we don't have enough resources when we don't have enough food he will provide it over and above what we can do but we've got to take the first step we've got to go we've got to find out where there is need And be where Jesus is, because wherever there is human need, you'll find Jesus. And if we can't satisfy that need, all we have to do is to ask him to satisfy that need, and he will. So don't wait for Jesus to come to you. Don't wait for for Sunday morning uh, when you think, well, I'm going to go to the house of God and he'll be there and he may do a miracle for me. He can do a miracle out there. And he wants to use you individually and use you corporately as a congregation. He wants you to, to, to be totally available and radically obedient. And so you need to know where the need is in your city. And, and where there is need in your city, you need to be the hands and feet of Jesus going out there and making a difference in Wayala. And you might say to me, but Brian, there's only 50 of us in this congregation. There's 20, what is it, 25, 23, 20,000 people in Wyala. We, we, we can't meet all the need there is in Wyala. Well, neither could the disciples meet all the needs of those 5,000 people on the hillside. And so he says to you, corporately as a congregation, individually, he says to you, well, don't worry. Just do what you can. Give me what you have give me your availability and your obedience and as long as you've reached your extremity I'll take over and I'll do things that you can't do. I'll do the miracles that you can't do. That's our God. That's who Jesus is. And so if you want to see a miracle in your life then total availability just as those people on the hillside. Radical obedience just as the disciples did that. That's what activates. That's what activates the hand of God. We activate the hand of God by the way we behave in relationship to him. You see, Jesus doesn't perform miracles to show off. He doesn't perform miracles so that people will say, Oh, look at Jesus. He's the son of God. No, he does miracles when he sees need. He does miracles for you, for me. When we have a need and we're willing to allow him to do in us and with us and through us the things that he wants to do. I told a part of my testimony over the, uh, during the school and uh, a number of you weren't here so uh, this will be new to you. But for those that were uh, you might just have to excuse me to relive it again for a, a, a few moments. But you see, I I, I was not always a totally available, radically obedient person myself until halfway through my life. And around about the age of 40, or exactly, was actually the the day of my 40th birthday when God challenged me in response to something I said to him. And I said to him, Father, I'm 40 now, halfway through my life or thereabouts. And I said, uh, uh, you know... I've been a Christian all my life. I've done everything that a Christian should do. My father was a minister. So I was brought up in the church. I taught Sunday school. I was a youth group leader. I was an elder. I was a parish secretary, a treasurer. Everything that you wanted to do in the church, I'd done it. But I said, Lord, there's got to be something more to Christianity than what I've yet experienced. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I said, I go, to, I go to church every Sunday, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, but there's still something more that I want. He said, what's that? And I said, well, when I read my Bible and I read of the, of, of the way that Jesus performed all those miracles when he came to earth, how he raised Lazarus from the dead, how he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I said, I wish I'd have been there then. That would be what I would want to see. I would want to be where, where Jesus was back then, 2,000 years ago. You know what he said to me? He said, Brian, I'm still alive. I'm still here. I'm still available. I'm still doing the miracles you read about in the Bible. It's not the going to church. It's not the reading the Bible. And It's not the, not the praying. He said, I want two things from you if you want to be on the cutting edge. Of seeing my seeing me perform miracles in your own life and in the lives of others and I thought to myself what does he want from me and I was a banker I'm not a pastor as, uh, in, as such I was a banker and I just knew he wanted all my money Then I knew he'd want my car then he'd want me to sell my house and give the money to the poor and then he might want me to go to Africa as a missionary and I was, all these things were going through in my mind and he said no, 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 no I don't want any of that he said all I want is two things that every Christian can give me and I said what's that he said your total availability and your radical obedience I said what does that mean he said well it means you've got to be you've got to be available when I want when I want you to do something you've got to be available to do it and when I tell you to do something you've got to go and do it total availability, radical obedience You've got, to, you've got to give me your life. You've got to let me direct your path. You've got to let me help you to get through life. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. He said, I oh, know you don't. But he said, I can make that happen if you will surrender yourself to me. And he said, Brian, I appreciate everything you've done for me for the last 40 years. I know you've been faithful. I know it's come out of the heart of love and, and all of those things. But there's so much of what you're doing that's not really what I want you to do. And there's so much of what I want you to do that you haven't yet done. And so he said, uh, he said let, let, me, let me reorder the priorities of your life. So I said, okay, Lord. I said, I won't do anything. I'll just let you reorder the priorities of my life. Over the next 12 months, he began to close doors on things that I thought were important. And he began to open doors on things that I'd never thought of. And so over a period of 12 months, a lot of stuff was taken out of my life. And I had a lot more time to do new things that God put into my life. That was how he made me totally available. I gave him permission to reorder my life. And he did that. Because I didn't have any room left in my life for any more activity. I was, I was, I was busy, 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 busy. And so if God told me to do something extra, there wasn't enough time for that. He had to take stuff out of my life in order to create space for what he wanted to put into my life. And then when it got to ra- total uh, radical obedience, I said, how do I become radically obedient? He said, you can't on your own. But he said, you can if you allow me to show you and you do what I tell you. He said, uh, he said uh, right through life, every person on their journey of life comes to points in their life which we might call a fork in the road or a crossroads. And we know that these are decision moments in our life where we have to decide. And so we come to the fork in the road and there's a, there's a road that goes off in that direction and a road that goes off in that direction. He said most people don't even stop. They just take a quick glance at both of them and they think, I've never been on that road before so I won't go there. Oh yes, this is the road I've always travelled. So I'll go there. So they go back onto the road that they've always travelled on. And you know where that road takes you? Around the mountain and brings you back to where you are today. Now let me make sure you understand. I'm not talking about how to get to heaven. I'm talking about how to make your life more meaningful on your journey through life. You get to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, not by what you do. You don't have to be totally available and radically obedient to get to heaven. All you've got to do is confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. So I'm not saying if you don't do this, you won't get to heaven. But on this journey of life, do you just want to go 70 years and just live life and, uh, uh, in a sort of a mundane fashion? Or do you want to be on the cutting edge like I did want it to be? Do you want to be where Jesus is? Do you want to be uh, at the place where you, you, you will see him perform the miracles you read about in the scriptures? So he said, when you get to that fork in the road, and you stop and you, and you look at both the roads. He said, always take the road least travelled. Not the one you've always been on, but the road least travelled. You don't know who's on that road. You don't know whether you're going to meet any wild bandits or kangaroos or emus like we might on the way to Sajuna. We don't know. This is a road least travelled for us. We've never been on it before, but we're putting our trust in God that he'll get us there this afternoon and this evening. But take the road least travelled. And I said, but what if it's not the road I was supposed to go on? What if I make a mistake and I go down the wrong road? He said, I will stop you. But you must recognise that it's me stopping you and not the enemy stopping you. So when you get to a... a, If you go down the wrong road, I will put a barrier across the road and you won't be able to go any further. He said, as long as you don't knock that barrier down or try to jump over or go around it, he said, I will guide you so that you don't go down the wrong road. And if you get to that place and you come back, start again. I've had a couple of false starts in my life. I've gone down roads that I thought God was opening up. But when I look back on it now, it was just my, a good idea that I had. And I thought it was something that God was putting on my heart. It wasn't. And so God has managed to guide me and, and, and cause me not to go down wrong roads or stumble. And so, uh, uh, but I want to tell you just the story which started me on the journey. I've already said to you I was a banker. So I, ha- I had a, a certain mindset. I thought about things in a certain way. I'd been trained up in the ways of the world. I'd been trained up to handle finance. I'd been trained up to make budgets balance. I'd been trained up to save money so that when you want to do something, you've got the money to do it. That was was my mindset. This is how God broke it. He said to me, Brian, I'm going to teach you how to pray for your nation. And I thought, is this really God? Would he want me, just one person, to be praying for the nation? Surely there's other people that can do that, not me. And, uh, but I said, okay, Lord, if that's you, then, then I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, but you'll have to lead me. So he said, fine. So for six years, we travelled New South Wales. Six years, we visited place, homes of people and we encouraged people who'd come alive in God and gone back to dry places and so forth. So God built around us a group of a uh, uh, couple of hundred people that we fellowship with across New South Wales. And he came to this place and he said, OK, Brian, now we're going to start a new journey. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to organise a 40-hour prayer weekend. I said, a what? He said, a 40-hour prayer weekend. I said, I can't pray for 40 hours. I have trouble praying for 40 minutes. He said, don't worry. It won't be like you think it's going to be. He said, you're not going to be sitting in a circle praying. You're going to, be, going to be dynamic. It's going to be worship. You're going to go out and pray on, on assignments and all sorts of stuff. And I said, okay, I'll trust you. So he said, I want you to organize it. Now, one of my giftings is facilitation, so that wasn't a big problem. So I said, what do I need? And he said, well, you're going to have to, uh, the people are going to come for two nights, 40 hours from Friday night to Sunday afternoon. They're going to come and uh, they'll need accommodation. Then I want you to provide all their meals for them from Saturday breakfast through to Sunday lunch. That's five meals. Saturday night dinner, I want you to organise a restaurant so that they can have a three-course meal because by that time uh, they'll, be, uh, they'll be tired and they'll, they'll want some fellowship around a, around a meal. So he said, I want you to provide that in a restaurant and I want you to uh, get, get a, a hall or somewhere um, in, in the town and, and book that for them as well. And I said, okay. That's a pretty you know, stiff assignment. So I said, um, uh, how many people do, should I cater for? He said, a hundred. I said, a hundred people? That's, that's, that's 50, 50 motel rooms. Yep, that's 250 meals, including the Saturday night dinner. Yep. And I said, well, who's going to pay for it? He said, I will. I said, how are you going to do that? He said, well, I'll, I'll put it on the hearts of the people to put enough money in the offering plate when you take up the offering in the last session on the Sunday afternoon. uh, He said, I will will have them put the money in the plate to cover the bill. And I said to him, look, I know you're God, but I'm a banker and I know that won't work down here on earth. Might work in heaven, but it doesn't work on earth. I can't trust the people that they're going to put enough in to cover all that. So he said, well, Brian, you said you wanted to be on the cutting edge, you wanted to see miracles, you've got a choice. You can either do it or we'll forget about it. So I knew he had me over a barrel. So I I did what every good banker would do and I did a budget. And uh, this was 30 years ago, so we're talking... uh, uh, The the, the figures aren't quite as big as they would be today. But 30 years ago, I said 50 motel rooms for two nights, 250 meals, including Saturday night uh, uh, at a restaurant, and I did a budget and it came to six thousand dollars. In today's money, thirty to thirty five thousand dollars. And God was going to provide that through the offering? I don't know, I don't think so. I didn't have any faith. But I did have radical obedience, so I said, Okay, I'll do it. I put out the word through the contacts that we'd had across New South Wales, and people began to register. And the first person that registered was mum, dad and two kids. That's four people. Four times 60, because six, six, 100 into $6,060 per person. They would have had to put in $240 in the offering plate. That's in today's terms $1,250. I knew they couldn't afford that. So it wasn't going to work, was it? But I knew it wasn't going to work when the second person was a university student. And the university students don't have any money. They have their mum and dad's money, but they don't have their own. So they wouldn't have been able to put in 60 bucks. And the third person who registered was unemployed. Couldn't afford anything. And I said to the Lord, I told you it wasn't going to work. I, said to her, I went to Robin and I said, Robin, this is what the Lord's told me to do. And she said, well, that's not going to work. And I said, I know that. But uh, she said, so what are you going to do with the shortfall? And I said, well, I do work in the bank. And I wasn't going to touch the till but I was going to get a loan and pay it off over four years and never be so stupid to do anything like this again. So the weekend came, and as, uh, as the weekend went by, it was a fantastic weekend. A hundred people turned up, as God said they would. A hundred people turned up. We had a, a great venue, uh, and, and we, it was a dynamic weekend. Worship, going out and praying on assignment in various places around the community where we were. And God was teaching us how to pray for our nation. At that point of time, I had no idea where I was going to finish up praying for the nation as, as my main ministry. But, uh, but, but as, we, as we went through that, uh, uh, I, I remember the Saturday night dinner. A lot of the people who came uh, w- weren't well off and so they'd never been out for a three-course meal on a Saturday night in a posh restaurant. And so they were really lapping it up and really enjoying it, especially when they hadn't paid anything for it. To, for it. Come Sunday morning, the mum, dad and two kids came to me and said, "Uh, Brian, this has been a fantastic weekend. Never been to anything like it before. If you ever have another one, we want to be part of it. But we've got to go home early, if you don't mind, because our kids have got to go to school tomorrow. It's 500 kilometres a drive home. Do you mind if we leave this morning rather than stay for this afternoon when the offering was going to be taken up? And I thought to myself, I don't care when you leave, as long as you leave your offering. But the Lord said, uh -uh, don't don't mention the offering. So I wasn't allowed to. And so I saw them get in their car, mum, dad, two kids, in their car, driving over the hill with the money still in their wallet. They didn't contribute anything. What a disaster. We, We took the offering up in the last session. I remember racing it out to the back room and counting it as quick as I could. I'm not sure why I did that. I think it was because I wanted to take up a second offering if there wasn't enough (laughs) in the first. But when we counted it, there was $6,600 in the offering. Despite university students and unemployed and mum, dad and two kids not putting anything in, God did what he said he was going to do. And he says, see Brian, he said, you've been trained as a banker and a banker has been trained in the ways of the world to make sure that you get the money in that you need to pay out. You get it in before you have to pay it out. But he said, if you want to be a man of, of the kingdom, if you're going to be able to do what I'm going to ask you to do in your ministry, he said, you're going to have to expend all the money and then I'll return it to you at the end. That was a completely different paradigm shift for me. But he told, he taught me. I went back, reverted back a couple of weekends later because he asked us to do a few extra things that it would cost extra money. And I knew that there was always more people there on the Saturday night than the Sunday afternoon. So I said, we'll take the offering up on the Saturday night because we need a, a, bit, a bit extra this, this weekend. We lost $2,000 that weekend. And God said, you'll never do that again, will you? And I said, no, I won't. And so for 30 years now, as we've ministered across the nation, we don't charge for our ministry. We've come to Wyala, paid our own expenses uh, not charged the church uh, anything for, uh, for ourselves or whatever. We've accommodated ourselves, we've fed ourselves, and we've done all of those things. Uh, and all we did yesterday was ask for a, a faith offering. And guess what? God provided. He provided. Everything's been covered for the weekend. The church hasn't had to get fork anything out of its pocket to, to have us here. That's our God totally available, radically obedient. I still get amazed when it happens because I'm still a banker at heart. still get amazed. But you see, that's what God can do. But you need to allow him to reorder your life, change your paradigms and cause you to be totally available and radically obedient. Then you can qualify for the abundance of God's blessing in your life. And so I encourage you this morning to give to him your five loaves and two fish. And the way I want to do it this morning is if you want to give your five loaves and two fish to him, I want you to come and bring them to the altar. I'm just going to symbolically take them out of your hands and then I'm going to offer them to him. Ask him to multiply them and then I'm going to put them back in your hands. You'll give me your seven basketfuls and he'll give you back your 12 basketfuls. If you are willing to do that, then this could be the beginning of a new journey. Not only for you personally, but it could be also for the church, the corporate body of Christ. Not only in this church, but in the hall of Wayala. God wants to do something over and above anything that you can do yourself. God has been abundantly blessing our ministry now for 30, 35 years and we've never charged for anything but we've always had enough for everything he's asked us to do. That's my testimony and it's the testimony of that story of the feeding of the 5,000. So let's just pause for a moment and I don't know whether Kerry's around anywhere. She can just quietly play play if she is. If she's not, uh, someone else, uh, my brother can do that. But I just want you to wait for a moment and I want to give you that opportunity. Now, I know that you don't know where God's going to take you. I, don't know, I know that you're, you're, you're very nervous at this point like I was and saying, well, what's he going to ask of me? Am I going to be able to give what he's asking of me? But if you can get past that and say, well, Lord, I'm, want, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to, I'm, I, I want to be, I want to be on the cutting edge. I want to be, I want to see miracles in my own life and in the lives of others, then he invites you this morning to give him everything you have. Your five loaves and your two fish. It doesn't mean he's going to take your house. It doesn't mean he's going to take your your family or or, or send you to Africa as a missionary or anything like that. He just wants you to say, Lord, I will do whatever you ask me. Will you please guide me? Here are my loaves and here are my fish. And so as... I give this opportunity if you'd like to step out and just come and stand here. I'm not going to pray for you. This is not a, a ministry session. This is you coming to the altar and laying your five loaves and two fish down and saying, Father, this is all I've got. I haven't got many talents. I haven't got much to offer. But what I have, it's yours. And I'll ask him to multiply it and give you back more than you give him. Come. Come. Bring your loaves and your fish to the altar. This is not a call to salvation. If you don't come out, you still get to heaven. This is a call to give the rest of your life. And many of you have done it already. Many of you are already on the journey. Many of you are already on the road of least travelled. But if you just want to reaffirm that, or if you haven't taken a road least travelled before, the opportunity is given to you now to do that and so I'm just going to walk along the line hold your, your hands out symbolically offering those, those gifts to Jesus thank you for your gift thank you for your five loaves and two fish thank you for giving everything that you have thank you for being willing to trust him all that he's given to you as you give it back to him. We take those five loaves and those two fish and just take them from you symbolically. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for offering what God has given to you back to him. Thank you for your five loaves and your two fish. Thank you for your total availability and your radical obedience. Thank you for trusting God because you don't know where he's going to take you. But you're saying, Lord, wherever you you take me, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Thank you for the loaves and the fish. Thank you for what you offer to him. Thank you for what you offer to him. Thank you for what you offer to him as well. And so, Father, as these people have come, many of them would be saying in their hearts, who am I? I'm only one person. I can't do anything more than I'm already doing. And all of us have felt like that at some stage in our life. Then you step in and say, but I can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can do. And so, Father, as we've taken these fish and these loaves, I, I, I symbolically hold them up to you. And I say, Father, this is all we have. We look at the city of Wayala. And we see the need in the city of Wyala. And we say, we can't meet that need. But you don't ask us to. You say, I will meet that need if you will give me everything you have. And so symbolically, those who have come this morning have done that. So I ask you to multiply their giftings. Multiply that which you've given to them. Multiply it. And Father, as I hand it back to them and as they go out of this place today, I ask you to take them to the forks in the road and help them to make the decisions which will lead them to new areas of ministry. New areas, the road least travelled. Not the old familiar road, but the load least travelled. Let today be the beginning of a new journey in life. Lord, speak to each one, we pray. And Father, now as we Lay back in their hands that which God has blessed, that which God has multiplied, that which God has given you is now greater than it was before because he gives it back to you in abundance. And he says to you, go, go and do exceedingly above anything that you could ever imagine that it was possible for you to do. Father, I ask you to open doors for these people. I ask you, Lord, to take them on new journeys. I ask them, Lord, to give them the faith to go on that road least traveled. I pray, Father, for for them individually and I pray for the church in Wyala, that the church would extend itself to the end of its extremities so that the people of Wayala will be fed. Come, Holy Spirit, Do your work in our midst. And where there's needs this morning, we haven't got time to pray for every need, but Lord, meet every need. Healing. Restoration. New self-images. Lord, heal everyone that has a need, we pray. And as now as we go from this place, we go, Father, not as we came, but we go because you've multiplied our gifts. You've multiplied our vision. You've multiplied our obedience. Now do a work in us and through us that we'll bring glory to your name. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus our Lord.